0: Glad you're here tonight, and I think that it's time well spent uh, to study the Word of God together. And I'll try to uh, redeem the time that you have given us tonight by being here. I want to look at the book of Jude. The book of Jude. It's a very interesting book. It's only one chapter. Jude just kind of almost wanted to, you know, testify before we wrap this thing up. And um, of course, his brother was James, and and. Um, He was much more well-known and uh, pastored the church in Jerusalem. And Jude was kind of there as an eyewitness, but he was the younger brother. And he didn't maybe um, have a whole lot to say, but he wanted to get uh, 25 verses in, and he did. 25 verses, and it is power-packed. I'm so glad that Jude got a chance to testify, and it's a, a part of the Word of God. So if you don't know where it is, it's uh, just to the left of Revelation. Jude chapter 1, the only one. And we begin reading in verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To them that are, <laughs> you see right away, his, his claim to fame was that he was James's brother. You know, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, but you probably know me as the brother of James to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you, I knew there it is, he wanted to testify, that ye should earnestly contend for the faith, and that's an interesting little passage, and we'll unpack that in just a moment. That we should earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. And that's what I want to talk to you about a little bit tonight: is exactly what is this faith that was once delivered unto the saints? And uh, a part of uh, what I want to talk to you in this subject about specifically. Uh, tonight is because this particular topic um, was a topic that was given to me a few weeks ago uh, to write an article on for the what used to be the Pentecostal Herald now it's the Pentecostal uh, Pentecostal Life and uh, so I accepted that um, assignment and started researching this and then uh, some other things uh, happened while we were up in uh, New York this past week so I want to try to tie all that uh, together and um, and talk to you about exactly what is this faith that was once delivered unto the saints on the east end of Long Island on a bluff called Turtle Hill stands a lighthouse nearly as old as our country. The Montauk Point lighthouse was commissioned by President George Washington in seventeen ninety two it's the oldest lighthouse in New York State, and it's the fourth oldest lighthouse in the United States. Prior to the lighthouse being built, the Montauket tribe built watchfires to guide their canoes safely home. And during the American Revolution, the British occupied Long Island and kept watchfires burning as beacons for their ships blockading Long Island Sound. The way Long Island comes out from Manhattan and comes around to the point and Long Island Sound is in there, it's that harbor, very, very important harbor that goes all the way up into what we know today as New York City. And, of course, it was very, very important even during the Revolutionary War. They would they would block that harbor, and to do so, uh, they could stop supplies coming in uh, to the colonialists. so that this has always been a strategic place, and whoever controlled that point is really who controlled the sound, uh, the the Long Island Sound, the waterway that goes up uh, along the the Long Island land portion itself. During World War II, members of the U.S. Coast Guard and the U.S. Army were both stationed at the lighthouse. And today, if you ascend the 137 steps, of which I did along with a few others a few days ago, you will find that this lighthouse is still in operation. And what is amazing to me is that they are using five light bulbs, which are the size of your little finger, uh, to shine its light more than 18 miles. Five light bulbs. Now, they show you all the... The transitioning of the light, and at one point it was massive, and and weighed you know uh, thousands of pounds, and now it's like this tall, and it has these five little light bulbs, and and they don't all five shine at the same time. There's only one that shines at a time, as the beacon rotates, and using a system of reflection uh, and refraction, they're able to take the light. and and move it around and bounce it off, and they're able to shine it uh, more than 18 miles uh, just with that little light bulb. Uh, When one of the uh, caretakers there of the lighthouse was showing us this light bulb, I I got to thinking about the little song we used to sing as kids in Sunday school, This Little Light of Mine. Do you remember us? Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. I remember as a kid us singing those songs and how true it is our light you may feel like that your light your testimony your life is insignificant but oh my friend you have no idea how far reaching the life that you are living that reflection of the light of god's love that reflects off of us and to co-workers and to uh, classmates and to friends and family members and on and on and on that light Travels a much greater distance than what you realize. Uh, Jude begins this, this powerful testimony in the latter part of the New Testament by admonishing the beloved to contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Contend. To contend for something is to strive or to earnestly pursue. Uh, if we got into this, the very specific definition of the word "content" it means to battle, to compete, to face off, to to fight, uh, to rival. And I I know that as Christians in the twenty first century, uh, we do not want to do this. We don't want to contend. Uh, more than twenty uh, years ago, now when I was on the front lines working for Liberty Council, we would struggle to get churches, Christians, and even uh, Christian paraministries engaged with the battle for our culture. It, uh, it seemed that uh, man did not want to be bothered until it directly affects them. And this is unfortunate. And though we didn't lose that many uh, legal battles, we would win 90-plus percent of our cases Um, The ones that we would lose, the ones that were uh, certainly more in the public eye and more in the press, they were usually lost as the result of conservative Christians just simply not showing up and contending. And I have to say to you today that I believe that as a church, as Christians in America, we will be held accountable for that. As I walked around uh, New York City, Times Square, just a few days ago, I felt like I was in Sodom and Gomorrah. I had no idea that the whole month of June is, quote, unquote, pride month. And the only thing I could think of is the scripture that pride goeth before destruction. And now, because of marijuana being used, quote, unquote, for medicinal purposes... Everywhere you go, there's marijuana smoke, and you you can't hardly get away from it. Uh, People walking in Times Square uh, in in the nude, not even any clothes on, painting on their body, and just uh, debauchery like I've never seen it before. And I, I couldn't help but just walk around and think, oh, God, what has happened to our country? We are going to be judged because we have embraced wickedness wholesale. This is the largest city in America. This is New York. This is Times Square. And here what is on display is sin. And in its most destructive form as the tragedy of human life. And people stumbling and walking and, and, and people needing help. And it just it's just on and on and on. And you look around and you feel like... That you are literally walking through Sodom and Gomorrah. As I, as I walked around and thought about that, I, I thought back about how uh, 20 years ago when we were trying to, to push back uh, the decline, uh, the moral decline of our nation through uh, legal battles, and, and, and at some point I felt like that that was a losing cause, that the greatest thing that we can do. Uh, in this world is to preach the gospel because ultimately It's only the gospel of jesus christ. That's going to save the lost I said it's only the gospel of jesus christ That's going to save uh, the lost but to consider the the lethargy of christianity And and I, I have to tell you today that this type of passivity is not scriptural It's not scriptural uh, many times we would hear Christian leaders tell us we just don't want to fight. And we used to say then, and I still believe it today, if you don't fight when you can, you won't be able to fight when you must. And so we we don't want to fight. We've, we've bought into this culture that, you know, if we're really truly Christians, then we'll just, you know, turn the other cheek and just absorb and allow. But all throughout the Word of God... God challenged his people to take a stand for righteousness. The Bible says it this way, if you can't run with the footman, how are you going to run with the horseman? So ladies and gentlemen of East Wind, it is important, it is imperative that we contend, that we strive, that we stand. The Webster's Dictionary says we must struggle. We must contend. And the thing about struggling is if a person is struggling, they're alive it's good when a baby's crying when they're born that means they're alive they've they've struggled and there's fight in them and there's breath in them when you go silent it's a sign of death oh i hope that the christian more specifically the apostolic church in america doesn't ever go silent Oh, we ought to lift up our voice and say, I'm going to contend for the faith that was once delivered, hallelujah, to the saints. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation. Yeah. Oh, my friend, this fight, it's a struggle. If a person is drowning, but they're struggling, at least the fight is still there. When they quit fighting, life has slipped from them. The mandate upon the church is to fight for a faith that was integral to the salvation of the saints. So when we when we talk about this this faith that was once delivered to the saints, Jude says you got to you got to contend for it, you got to fight for it. It's going to take a little bit of of a sacrifice. It's going to take being uncomfortable sometimes, uh, but you got to fight for it. This faith uh, that was part and parcel to the uh, to the heroes of Scripture is described in Hebrews eleven. Uh, And and if you want to turn, I'll read some verses to you. But while you're turning, let me uh, just sort of summarize some of the most important aspects of Hebrews 11 when we talk about this faith. And I believe it's very specific to the faith that was once delivered to the saints. It brings substance to the intangible. It brings clarity to the invisible. It caused Abel to offer a more excellent sacrifice. It guided Enoch to a place of pleasing God. It mixed with fear in Noah to prompt him to prepare an ark. Let me just stop and say this. I don't think that it's a bad thing to fear God. In fact, the Bible talks about that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's wise to fear God. And when we talk about fear God, we're talking about have a healthy understanding that God is our judge, that everything, every work, every action is going to be judged. We're not just down here on some sort of a, you know, cosmic accident floating around down here uh, marking time as some sort of a living creature that's not any different uh, than the animals that we share this planet with. No, my friend, uh, we were created in the image of God. We were made from the dust of this earth. We were created with a purpose, and that purpose was to be in fellowship with God. And until we get back to being in fellowship with God, you're not going to be happy with possessions. You're not going to be happy with just relationships of others. You're not going to be happy until you get back to the place that you were created for, and that was to be in relationship with your Creator. Nothing can substitute that. And so that fear caused Noah to prepare an ark. It called Abraham to seek for a city which had foundations made of God. Let's read a little bit about it. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 2, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed By the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Verse 5, By faith, Enoch was translated, that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Oh my goodness. If you can wrap up your life in one thing on your epitaph, it ought to be he walked with God and he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whether he went, Verse 9, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In a word, this faith once delivered to the saints was something steadfast, I said it was something steadfast. Jude goes on to define this faith by contrasting it with the challenges of the current culture. Verse 4 in Jude 1 says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed them that believed not, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. There's a parallel that he draws right there. The same people that he saved out of Egypt, though they didn't believe, he took them out in the desert. The angels that he had in heaven, he is saying just as those that were in the wilderness... That were a part of the saved children of Israel. Because they did not believe. They were judged in the wilderness. He says now here. The angels which kept not their first estate. All the angels that were there in heaven singing. They got carried away with following Lucifer. They left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains Utter darkness under the judgment of the great day. Just as he judged man, the Jews that did not believe in the wilderness, he's going to judge the angels uh, that followed Lucifer and dropped out of heaven. Uh, He's drawing a parallel. Look at verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. That's what the Word of God says. Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet, Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. durst not bring against him a railing accusation. But said, the Lord rebuke thee. You say, oh, these bodies don't matter. Michael the archangel fought for the body of Moses. Can't say these bodies don't matter. They're the temple of the Holy Ghost. They fought. There was a a wrestling match. There was a, 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 a skirmish in the powers and the principalities. This wasn't something some deputy angel was sent to do. This was Michael, the archangel. Michael, the warring archangel. The the, the the archangel that declared the word of God, standing in the presence of God. And now he contends. And the devil tries to bring a bunch of accusations, railing accusations against him. But he said, the Lord rebuke thee, but these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things, they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah, which is referring to Korah. These three things, the way of Cain, the error of Balaam, And the gainsaying of core. You you can define those three things. You can see what it's all about. The way of Cain. You know what that was? Cain offered a sacrifice. And he was hurt in his spirit because his sacrifice was not received. And so he felt justified in his anger to take out Abel. Because Abel offered a sacrifice that was pleasing to God. You know what's interesting, and this is not my message tonight, but allow me to deviate for just a moment. I felt just a prompting in my spirit to say this. When you read in Genesis about the two sacrifices of Cain and Abel, I had always read and always believed and still do to a certain degree that that Cain's sacrifice was not a lamb. It was vegetables because he was a gardener, a tiller of the ground. And yet, when you read about Abel, his sacrifice was received of the Lord, and it was uh, the first of the flock. But what's interesting is when you read how those two offered their sacrifice, it says that that Cain would offer his sacrifice whenever he got around to it in, in due season. It doesn't say he offered the first fruits. He just did it whenever it was convenient. But Abel took the very first of the flock, and he offered a firstfruits offering to the Lord. Oh, my friend, God will always honor you if you put the Lord first in everything that you do. But the way of Cain was the, a spirit of justification for his action. It was a, a spirit of, of feeling like he'd been rejected of God, so he had a right to act in the most uh, brutal of ways. The heir of Balaam was selling out the anointing for financial gain. And the gain saying of Korah was rebellion. Whenever Korah and his gang of merry men came up against Moses and said, Who do you think you are? You think you're more spiritual than the rest of us? We're just as spiritual as you are. God didn't care for that position. In fact, he opened up the earth and swallowed them and their kids and families and all their friends and everybody that stood with them. The earth and their animals swallowed it all up and closed up. Oh, my friend. You can say it doesn't matter, but it does matter. Jude one eleven describes the variables of human endeavors apart from the will of God. They're all fleshly pursuits powered by lust and rebellion and greed. They hinder humanity by creating chaos and confusion resulting in lives that are shipwrecked we were sunday we were over uh in church over in uh brooklyn and uh after service uh pastor us we we just wanted to there was a couple of us ministers and our wives we we said oh we're okay it's father's day go be with your families we're fine we're just gonna get a bite to eat and we went down to shake shack oh hallelujah Shake Shack and got a double cheeseburger with bacon and a cookies cream milkshake and French fries. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost just thinking about it. (laughs) You could feel the presence of God so strong and in that service and what a tremendous job uh, that they do. And winning people off the streets there in Brooklyn and, and that church. Every song glorified God. And the message was not one of these user-friendly messages that's just cotton candy to make everybody feel good about themselves. There was conviction. And we were just eating there at Shake Shack and thinking about it all. And, and I said to uh, my good friend, Pastor uh, David Elms, I said, you know what we should do? He said, what? I said, we should walk the Brooklyn Bridge. He said, "Do what?" I said, "We should walk the Brooklyn Bridge." I was already feeling conviction about how much I'd eaten. He said, "Why walk it? We've got to ride." You know, they'll bring us back, and and I said, "It's beautiful weather, and it's it's a, you just you walking the Brooklyn Bridge is a deal." And he said, "That's fine if y'all want to do it." We can. so we talked to our wives and some other people that were with us, and we decided we were going to walk the Brooklyn Bridge. Man, we got up there. And, it's it's I mean, it's a big, you know, whatever, six-lane, eight-lane, whatever, highway. But then it's got this big pedestrian area, and you go over, and it's this, you know, bridge, and it's been redone, and it's old, and it's got all this grid work, and it's just a marvel, engineering marvel. And you walk across it, and as you're walking across it, there's the skyline of, of Manhattan, and there's the, the, the one freedom tower. Of it. And I'm thinking as I'm walking, I'm thinking how, you know, humanity has responded after others tried to you know, crash into what represented the economic power of our country, and the twin towers, and the whatever three thousand people that died. And yet, look at this! Look at these buildings, and look at those marble. Look at this bridge, and I am just thinking about the power of humanity to be able to recover and to build again. And all these years, and walking over this bridge, and and you see everything. It's in this big panoramic view, and the, the weather was awesome. There was all of these people out there. Walking and everything. And as I was walking and thinking about all of it, the Lord just prompted me to look up in the sky. And I looked up and I began to realize that everything that I looked at, walking over the Brooklyn Bridge and all those skyscrapers, that all of it was going to come down. You maybe wanted a little more positive message tonight, but I'm preaching to you what God's put in my spirit. Don't set your sights on this world, my friend. It's all going to come down. There is a God, hallelujah, that's going to come for His people. Hallelujah. As we were walking across that Hudson River and I was thinking about that pilot, you know, that that landed that, that plane in the Hudson River and all those people were saved and Brother Elm started talking about the greatest boat lift ever recorded in mankind happened right here in the Hudson River and I was thinking... Boat. Lifts. I mean, there were boats that took them off of that plane, but I didn't see. He wasn't talking about that. He was talking about the greatest boat lift that ever took place was in the Hudson River as they pulled people after nine eleven off of Manhattan and got them across the the water and got them over into the other boroughs. and And he, he started describing all these different ways. and People had their own private boats and everything that took place to to get all the mass of humanity off of off of uh, Manhattan because those buildings had fallen and the dust and all the debris and they didn't people didn't know what all was going to happen what next and so there was this massive boat lift to get all of these people and to rescue them. And and they did, and they rescued uh, hundreds of thousands of people and got them on boats and got them across the Hudson River and bridges opened up and the people were all walking on those bridges. They shut them on. Everybody was trying to get across the bridges. They were coming the other direction. We were walking back over into Manhattan. And I got to thinking about how that more than anything. All of the stuff doesn't matter when your life is threatened. The only thing you can think of is, i got to be saved. Nobody cares about Manhattan. Nobody cares about their beautiful apartment. Nobody cares about their possessions when buildings are falling down. It's all about redemption. It's all about salvation. It's all about being rescued. And I got to thinking as we walked over that bridge, oh, more than anything... We've got to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to whomsoever we will, wherever we can, whoever we can reach. Despite the best efforts of the Montauk lighthouse, more than 140 shipwrecks lie at the bottom of the Long Island Sound, most of the result of storms, fog, or human error. The brilliant light From the lighthouse can only send the signal it cannot prevent a shipwreck ultimately the ship must properly heed the warning and respond accordingly but the lighthouse has to keep shining you don't always know what ships have been saved you don't always know what lives have been saved but you preach the gospel But you teach the gospel. You teach a home Bible study. You witness to your friends and your
1: neighbors. You do what you can, where you can, when you can. Because the light from the lighthouse has to keep shining.
0: Ultimately, it's up to people what they're going to do with the light. Are you going to heed the call? On December 11th, 1876, the freighter, Circassian ran onto the outer bar off Bridgehampton and wrecked. The ship began to tear apart as the violent waves ripped and tore the wooden hull. Fortunately, the ship was near shore, and all 49 people on board were saved. Unfortunately, 28 were killed by going back to the wreck. And trying to salvage their possessions. More than half went back. Trying to salvage their possessions. After they had been saved. Went back to get something off the boat that they thought was valuable. And 28 of them were killed. I remember years ago being on a catamaran sailboat with my family. I was very young out here in the Indian River. We had not lived here long. My family moved here in 71, and this was somewhere around the mid-70s. I was probably around nine years old. We were in the middle of this intercoastal waterway out here, and we were, had rented, used to, down there by the old O'Galley Library, you could rent catamaran sailboats, and you could go and sail around out there in the river and come back. And we did it as a family. The main reason we did it was because my parents had gone and done it with an evangelist and his wife, brother and sister um, grandquist uh, they They were evangelists at the time, and sister Grandquist very well known. Uh, singer and albums and so forth they've pastored in california for many years and uh they were were so much fun and they came and my parents took them they went out in the river and sailboated and and um they they took pictures and and we saw them all my sister and i and we complained how come the evangelist gets to go we've never got a chance to go sailboat so <laughs> they took a sailboat and uh, my sister was nervous as could be the whole time and uh, I was, being being the younger brother and the pest that I was and am and and probably always will be, I uh, was taking the sandwich bags and blowing them up from the sandwiches that we had devoured and popping them. (laughs) And I would scream and she would scream and it was so much fun. And she she must have had a premonition that something was gonna happen. And then at some point I had gotten cold and, and I had on my dad's uh, shirt, T-shirt uh, that was much too big for me. Uh, now, if he got cold, he could crawl up in my T-shirt. So we kind of reversed roles there. But uh, at the time, I was up, had my knees up in the T-shirt and my arms were inside of it. and I was, uh, I was cold as the afternoon came on and the sun was starting to go down a little bit. And uh, the main mask on the boat broke. I mean, just <laughs> broken half, and the whole thing went upside down, and uh, I had uh, just fallen over the side and was just sinking to the bottom of the river. I can still remember the pictures that my mind took uh, as I was sinking to the bottom of that Indian River, and I was thinking about how dirty the river. Isn't that a crazy thing? You think about how dirty the river was. Somebody needs to clean this. It was really dirty. And I was going down like a rock. Fortunately, my mom um, saw me going down and went down and, and grabbed me and saved my life and uh, saved me from drowning. And so we were upside down. The pontoons flowed, of course, and we were all four um, hanging on to the pontoons. And uh, my mom and dad said, so, okay, everybody's here, everybody's safe. Of course, we were, we, we were very you know upset about this. And, and uh, the things that we had on the boat, one of them was a cooler. They kind of had our, you know, sandwiches or drinks or whatever in there. And the cooler just was floating away. And uh, my dad saw it. And uh, for a split moment, he thought about going and swimming over and uh, getting the cooler and uh, bringing it back. We didn't know how long we'd be out there. We didn't know uh, what it would be like. You know, maybe it would be good to have uh, some water or something to eat as, uh, you know, back then you didn't have cell phones or anything. You just... You just hung on to the pontoons and hollered and yelled and hoped that, you know, somebody would see you. But my father decided against doing it, and it was the right decision. He decided not to go after the, the, uh, the floating cooler. Uh, he decided to stay with his family and not worry about the lost possessions. That was a good decision, and really a metaphor for a lot of things in life. You're better off to stick with your family than to chase Possessions. Because you can lose your family chasing stuff. And uh, shortly after my, my dad made uh, the decision not to go uh, swimming after the cooler, he got a severe cramp in his leg. And no doubt if, if he was swimming after the cooler, that uh, that cramp in his leg would have put his life in jeopardy. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to be careful that we don't allow our past to draw us back in. The Bible says to remember Lot's wife. What are we supposed to remember about Lot's wife? What should we remember? Just remember her? Well, we never knew her. No, when the Bible says remember Lot's wife, it's saying remember the principle of Lot's wife. Remember how she allowed her past to pull her back to her final peril. And it is possible, ladies and gentlemen, to enjoy being rescued, only to risk losing that position by somehow chasing something that's temporal. The beacon of life that's called faith must be heated before the storm, during the storm, and after the storm. I'm thankful that more people went to church on the Sunday following 9-11 than at any other time in the history of America. The problem is the next week they went back to their stuff. They went back to their bad habits. They went back to... And maybe that's a verdict on the churches of America that they didn't find God when they... I hope that people can always feel and find God when they come in the doors of East Wind Pentecostal. Jude goes on and says, and I'm closing, these are spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withered without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Oh, my friend, this is the world we live. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever? Jude describes the challenges to our faith as raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. These dangerous conditions, my friend, describe a crisis of faith that is the result of uncertainty. Uncertainty. And what we perceive as unanswered prayers. We have to be careful that we don't allow the frustration of what we perceive as unanswered prayers to drive us to make unwise decisions and to follow people who promise you something that no man can give. Men and women of God that perhaps have good intentions, but because of their frustration of an unanswered prayer or perhaps the sickness of a relative, they begin to become vulnerable And they heed the voices of people that have ulterior motives that prey on that vulnerability. Prey on your pain and your hurt and try to draw you away. Oh, my friend, there's no man that can heal. There's no man that can say, it's all in Jesus. If we're not careful the whole time, we think we're getting closer to God. The fact of the matter is the faith that was once delivered to the saints is a steadfast truth that pierces even the fog of fear. The
1: faith that was once delivered to the saints is a steadfast faith. It's all we need in the 21st century. We don't need somebody new with some sort of a new doctrine or some sort of a new presentation. Everything you and I need, it's all in the Word of God. It's a
0: faith that was once delivered to the saints. Oh, my friend, it's a ray of hope. It's a clarion call. In a storm of opinions, Jude does not present the dilemma without giving us the answer. But ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Woo, how do you build up yourself in your most holy faith? Praying in the Holy Ghost. I believe at least once a day, you gotta get alone with
1: God. You gotta pray in the Holy Ghost. If it's in your car on the way to work or if it's in your, your private time of devotion in the morning, you gotta have time where you can pray in the Holy Ghost.
0: How do we build up ourselves praying in the Holy Ghost is to pray with affirmation rather than with words of affliction. It is to pronounce our determination rather than request our deliverance. I fear that we in a consumer-driven culture think that prayer is only about what we want from God. Oh my friend, you want to build up your faith. You begin to
1: pray in the Holy Ghost and you begin to declare the greatness and the glory of God. You begin to say, Lord, you are my rock. You're my salvation. You're my strong tower that I run to in a time of need. You're the light. You're the light of this world.
0: Hallelujah, Jesus. Jude continues, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some, have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh got to rescue him you got to pull him out of the fire the love and longevity of a lighthouse is based in the steadfast nature of such a structure to help others
1: it's simply
0: there to help others
1: nobody stops by Gives a reward to the lighthouse keeper. He's got a lonely job. Living out there in the winters and the cold and the storms.
0: But he stays there year after year. The land erodes away. They got to figure out a way to keep the land from eroding. Lighthouses have got to be repaired. Everything about nature takes its toll on the lighthouse the lighthouse just keeps shining the light because there's somebody out there that needs help. Somebody's got to be warned that there's rocks along this shore. Somebody's got to be warned. If they're
1: not, their vessels are going to end up capsized, torn apart with the, the storm of wind uh, and the raging waves. And so they just keep on shining the light. Uh, they just keep on shining the light. Uh, the faith that's once delivered to the saints uh, was to do more than just preserve them. Uh, it was to be delivered to the next generation. That's why if you got children, you ought to have them in vacation Bible school. It ought to be more important than sending them to Disney World. That's made it clear that they've got an agenda for their minds. Oh, this faith that was once delivered to the saints was not just for one generation. It wasn't for just one century or decade of time. It was for you and to your children and to all that are afar off.
0: Our trust in God, you can you can stand up, I'm done. Our trust in God during a time of trouble is to turn our focus on others. In so doing, the residual effect is the strengthening of our own faith. For more than 200 years, mariners on whaling ships, steamers, fishing boats, and sailing vessels of all kinds have passed the Montauk Lighthouse and were guided and reassured by its presence. But oh, my friend, for more than 2,000 years, lives have passed Calvary and been guided by the love of a selfless Savior. That legacy of love brings hope and strength to this generation and beyond. I know that we face a challenging time in our culture. But I rise tonight to declare to you that the lighthouse of God's love is still going to be what pierces the darkness.
1: We just need somebody to climb up the steps, get up in the lighthouse and turn on the light. And let the beacon of God's love shine. We can't save anybody, but we can pull them out of the fire. We can warn them of a coming time of judgment. We can tell them that there's hope. There is hope. There is hope. Come on, it was the faith that was once delivered to the saints.
0: Come on, why don't you pray right where you're standing right now? Come on, pray in the Holy Ghost right where you're standing.
1: Saints of God, somebody's got to shine the light. if somebody's praying in the holy ghost come on somebody's declare with boldness and authority You <laughs>
0: I know it's Wednesday night, but I wonder if there's some people here tonight that'll just shout shout with a voice of affirmation.
1: Steadfastness. Oh, that's it. That's it. Shout with determination.
0: Sometimes it's hard to shout with faith because our heads are down. you got to lift up your head. If you change your posture, it'll change your passion. And if you can change your passion, it'll change your praise. Come on, somebody going to lift up their head. Lift up your head, O ye gates. Your redemption draweth nigh. Come on, this world's not my home.
1: I'm just a passing through. Oh, that's it. I'm going to pray in victory. I'm going to live in victory. I'm going to stay on the rock, but I'm going to keep reaching. I'm going to keep shining. I'm going to keep loving.
0: Oh yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Don't let, don't let time, busyness, cares of this world, the summer season, whatever. Don't let anything take these three things away from you. Hold on to them with the grip of a drowning man. Number one, faithfulness to the house of God. Hold on to it with everything you got. Fight for it. F- contend for it. Number two, praying in the Holy Ghost. Prayer's not just whenever you need something really bad, you don't know what else to do. Every day, fight for your time to pray in the Holy Ghost. And the third thing is the Word of God. Don't let entertainment, don't let anything in this world take you away from the Word of God. Come on, building up your faith in the Holy Ghost, be in the Word of God on a daily basis. If you hang on to those three things, you'll stay on the solid rock. We're going to reach for everybody we can, but we're going to stay on the solid rock. Come on now. And we're going to contend for those things. We've got to be a part of our lives. Amen. Why don't you hug your brother and sister in the Lord and say, we're going to make it. we got to get to heaven. God bless you. We love you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.